0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. I want to thank you for joining us today as we continue our series entitled Strengthening Catholic Marriages. And this is the fifth part or fifth segment in that series, Strengthening Catholic Marriages. What are we trying to do here? Well, I'm sure you've heard of the Bishop Synod on the family in the Vatican, and we're proposing rather than changing the annulment process or to start giving communion to the divorced and remarried outside the church, rather we should focus on positive ways to strengthen Catholic marriages, and hence, that's why we're doing this series. We've gone through a number of steps already, and the step I'd like to tackle today, the first step, is the need to both strengthen and streamline Pre-Cana. In case some of you who are not Catholics listening, and I hope there's many non-Catholics listening, Pre-Cana is a program Six months long, usually in the Catholic Church, to prepare young couples for marriage. And given that there is a serious plunge in the Catholic marriage rate, as well as the marriage rate of young people across our culture, but I'm particularly concerned what's going on in the church, the Catholic marriage rate is plunging as the stock market did in. 1929. We've lost a marriage rate of practically 60 percent in just over three decades, and that's a catastrophic drop. And so we're going to have to change some ways that things are being done to maintain a high quality, high orthodoxy, but a more winsome program for bringing and encouraging young couples to come to marriage. Now, this hurts to say, a couple of things are going to hurt to say this broadcast, but there's a highly dedicated Catholic young woman that I know very well who described her Precana experience as, quote, the worst experience of my life, unquote. The parish input was all about rules and impersonal to the extreme. The classes, they range from good and okay to boring and one class downright heretical. Now, marriage for a young adult is the most important step they are taking at that stage of life. And to make the process that young people are required to go through, and again, this was a highly dedicated young Catholic woman, to have her describe it as the worst experience of her life, something really needs to change. And so first, we want to talk about strengthening the pre-cana process. I mentioned way back in a series that I did entitled Transformative Parenting. It was a series for parents and parishes on how they can work the interior life of their children, not just to have them conform to exterior rules, and then for parishes Since sacraments are intensely personal, it's the relationship that we have in receiving grace from the living, personal God who comes to us in the sacraments. So, the parish life should be a good, not a perfect, doesn't have to be perfect, but a good reflection of the personal relationship that God has with his children in the sacraments. Well, it doesn't just apply to say, a First Communion or a Confirmation sacramental class, it should also apply to marriage. This should be a warm, personal, inviting experience. Now, I had one person, uh, they listened to me, I think it was in something I wrote about strengthening the pre cana process, and they just thought I wanted to make it all warm and fuzzy, delete all the doctrine, and water down Catholic teaching. That's not, not at all what I have in mind. But see, some people think it's all doctrine or it's all warm and fuzzy. No, I'm talking about deeply personal and deeply orthodox, and the two need to be married in order to prepare young people for marriage the right way. Listen very carefully. If the Catholic Church is going to require attendance at pre-cana, then it better work very hard to deliver really helpful, practical, solid, orthodox training that's worthwhile. Otherwise, requiring attendance at poor quality classes will backfire with a vengeance. And one of the ways it's backfiring is that young people who are Catholic are avoiding even coming to the Catholic Church for marriage. It has to turn around and make it a positive experience. And I don't know if you remember, but from episode 46 of Faith and Family in this series, Strengthening Catholic Marriages, I referred to that PREP, P-R-E-P, communication training, and that's one vital component that can be added to PrEP that can make a very significant change, probably the most significant change in a young couple's life. And last week I mentioned if you combine PrEP communication training with training in finances and communication in finances, there is a union of two strategies that can radically reduce the divorce rate amongst Catholics, I would assume by at least a third within a decade, just doing those two steps out of the dozen or so steps that I have mentioned so far. Now, right along with strengthening the pre-Cana process, I am also advocating streamlining it. Now, same people say, oh my, Steve is just he's throwing in the towel, he's giving in to whatever it is. No. When the Catholic Church set up Pre Cana, it was a six month program. That uh, at the time when I learned about it, I was still a Protestant minister, had not become a Catholic yet. And at conferences that I was attending, trying to strengthen marriage, the leaders at these conferences were praising the Catholic Church for their strong commitment. To young couples in preparation for marriage. And uh, at the same time, I tip my hat to the Catholic Church for doing that, even as a Protestant minister. But, you know, times have changed. And looking at my grown married children with their own families now, it's tough. And looking at my young adult unmarried children, working very hard. It just seems, and I don't know what it is, but maybe it's the corporate work world or just the pace of life or whatever it is, but the pace of life and the stress that already exists in the lives of young adults and really a shortage of time for a lot of things, I think it's time not to ditch anything in pre-cana. I'm not advocating ditching good components, but I would advocate what I call tightening things up, Uh, shortening that preparation period that's required from six months, say maybe uh, take it back to say four months, a a little bit more of an achievable goal in our time-pressed world. Now, I'm not just spouting this. I want to give you an example that why this should be done. You're listening to Faith and Family as a 30-minute radio show. It used to be an hour radio show. And the reason I shortened it to 30 minutes was that I am very concerned that we reach young married couples who have young children and teenagers in the home, we need to communicate to them where they are. And honestly, it's sometimes a little bit more work to get the content of a 60-minute show into a 30-minute show, but it can be done, let me tell you. First of all, you get to the point. Second, you reinforce the point. Third, you give an application of the point to implement in daily life. And then finally, shut up. And you can do this in 30 minutes. Uh, I've been doing it now for 49 broadcasts, boom, 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 right in a row. You can, I can do this as a broadcaster, but honestly, it takes a little bit more work. Here's Henry David Thoreau, who talked about writing and brief writing. He said, not that the story need be long, but it will take a long while to make it short. President Woodrow Wilson, not my favorite president, but I love this quote, President Woodrow Wilson was asked by a cabinet member about the amount of time he spent preparing his presidential speeches. And President Wilson said the following, quote, it depends. If I am to speak 10 minutes, I need a week for preparation. If 15 minutes, three days. If in half an hour, Two days. If an hour, I'm ready right now. You see, to really get to the point, and I can't track down the source of this quote. Uh, Initially, I was told it was C.S. Lewis, but I understand that's a myth. But the quote is this If I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. If I had more time, I would have done a longer broadcast. If I had more time, I would do a longer pre Cana. You see, it takes work just to tighten it up. Not to drop things. In fact, you could probably add a few things and just modify things and really tighten it up and really value the time of these young adults preparing for marriage and make the content rich, warm, inviting, orthodox, relevant, helpful, and practical and you'll have an environment that welcomes those who are right now avoiding marriage in the Catholic Church. Okay. That's point number one today. Point number two, do no harm. While you, or your pre Cana group, or Diasen Family Life Ministry, or any type of church outreach, while you're trying to help people who have troubled lives or people living in sin, remember that physician's advice first, primary, do no harm. Do no harm, physician, in the course of trying to help or heal those who are hurting. It's not in the Hippocratic Oath, by the way, do no harm, but it is in Hippocratic writings entitled Epidemics and here's where it comes from quote the physician must be able to tell the antecedents know the present and foretell the future in other words he has to have the context past present and future and he must mediate these things and have two special objects in view in regard to disease namely To do good and to do no harm. Now, unintentionally, good people in the church wanting to do good sometimes forget to have two critical things in their minds at the same time. While wanting to do good to help people with troubled lives, to help people living in sin, we want at the same time to do no harm we don't and particularly we don't want to harm those who aren't living troubled lives we don't want to harm those not living in mortal sin let me tell you a mistake that i made as a father i think i was off at a conference and somebody gave me a catholic youth bible and you know What could be wrong with that? I mean, obviously, it was a well-intended effort to make a Catholic Bible for Catholic youth. So home, I go with the Catholic Bible, and one of my children just came to me and just made this comment that I just thought was, where did this come from? But she told me that, well, really, most teenagers, particularly those not raised in homeschooling Christian homes like ours, most teenagers are tempted by suicide, drugs, depression, have sex, and struggle with homosexuality. I said, where did that come from? Catholic Youth Bible, because it had all these sections in there of dealing with suicidal feelings, drug abuse, when you have depression, want to maybe cut yourself, uh, always having sex and struggling with homosexuality. That's the norm. We're actually kind of on. I said, no, 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 no. Just look at our neighbors across the street. Wonderful Jewish family, children well-adjusted, academic achievers, happy, well-adjusted. I said, no, the whole world isn't like this. But you see, they forgot that Hippocratic advice that there has to be two things in view, that wanting to do good, you also have to remember to do no harm. Now, this, this indeed hurts to talk about this, but September's papal wedding and October's week and a half of the family synod have already produced harm that will last for a full generation, especially harm to youth and young adults. Let's first talk about the papal wedding ceremony. In what I would assume is a well-intended effort to help those who are living in sin That's called fornication. It's a mortal sin for those having children out of wedlock, having the papal mass for those who wanting to get married. And it was a good thing for those who are living together to get married. It's a good thing for those who have brought a child into this world to get married. So that's that's seeking to do good. But while seeking to do good, young people who are simply you know, scanning headlines with a smartphone, are assuming that the Pope's okay with these things, that it's okay to live together, that it's okay to have children out of wedlock and whatever, because the Pope's okay with it. He just had a mask for them. And I'm not saying the the Pope at all intended this, and obviously the press is playing this up. But listen to me very, 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 very carefully. Your children are not reading the eight page articles in some Catholic periodical of why the Pope didn't mean what he did or something like that. The children aren't reading these things. The young adults aren't reading these things. They're just seeing the picture of those who intend to do good, but may be doing harm at the same time. And unfortunately, I'll tell you right now what's going to happen to some concerned Catholic parents listening to this broadcast, and maybe it'll be five years from now, but whatever. You're going to try to prevent your young adult children from shacking up, and they're going to throw up in your face this past papal wedding where those living together were invited by the Pope to get married in front of him, and they're going to say, well, why can't we live together for a while, just like these couples did before the Pope? And I'm just saying, it was a good thing. Just like the Catholic Youth Bible. I mean, it was a wonderful idea to try to help youth with drugs and depression and homosexual tendencies and all these other things, suicidal thoughts. But to make that appear to be a norm can harm those who are outside the norm. I just read of a local priest right here in Greenville that a couple who was living together came to him for marriage, and he listened to their story. He affirmed them for, you know, getting married, which is the right thing to do, you know, rather than just living together. But when he said the state that they're living in is a sinful state, a gravely sinful state, and they can't be having communion while they're in that state, and they were a little miffed because, well, the Pope's welcoming— to people like us. And don't get me wrong. (laughs) The Holy Father is welcoming people like that. And just like a good physician, you want to do good. You want to do good to those who are sick. You want to do good to those who are hurting and in trouble. You want to do good for those who are living in sin. Those things are good. But at the same time, we have to be extremely careful that we do no harm. And especially, we want to do no harm to youth and young adults skimming these headlines and seeing these images on a smartphone. They are not reading eight reasons how the press manipulated Pope Francis's statements or something like that. They're just going to see the headlines, maybe a sentence of text, and a picture. And it's doing harm to young people. The same thing's going on with the family synod. Now, it is a good thing for a physician of souls to want to reach out to those who are living the homosexual lifestyle. It is a good thing to reach out as a pastor physician of souls, to reach those who have been divorced and remarried outside the church. It is a good thing to bring the love of Christ to them, absolutely a good thing. There's no debate about that. But really, where the deep thought needs to be given here is that, is there a simultaneous harm being done with a message of mercy divorced from truth, a balance so that, yes, this is going to be appealing to those who are in the homosexual lifestyle, and hopefully it'll track down to the Catholic Church. Yes, this will be appealing to those who are living in the state, the ongoing state of adultery, because that's what it is to be remarried, divorced and remarried outside the church. That's an ongoing state of adultery. It's a mortal sin. And when some people, like this cardinal from Germany, wants to be compassionate and show Christ's love by giving communion to people in a state of mortal sin, I'll tell you what signal that sends. You know, the sexual revolution has basically taken over every institution in Western society except one, and that's the Catholic Church. Now, the Catholic Church hasn't been co-opted. She is the rock. But at the same time, there's the little children that Jesus warns us about. You know, don't scandalize them or a big, heavy millstone is going to be cast around your neck and you're going to be drowned into the depths of the sea. We don't want to scandalize the little ones. And I'm saying that papal wedding and the family synod so far, and people are saying, Oh, Steve, it's only an interim report. It's just kind of a draft. There's nothing to worry about, folks. (laughs) You need to get outside the bubble. If you're a young Catholic struggling to stay chaste, maybe you're the last one in your whole dormitory that's still chaste, and you see this going on. They're thinking, well, I guess Vatican's okay with this. Now, I'm not saying the Vatican is okay with this, but that's the harm that's being projected by this, the unintentional consequences of trying to do good without simultaneously paying attention to doing no harm. And, you know, it's really something. Because as parents, you know, we try our best and, you know, you raise your kids right in today's world and they're living a minority life already. And when they think, and I'm not saying this is what's going on, but when they think from the images they see from what's going on and the images projected are not done with the care to balance with truth, and warning that these are grave sins that lead to an eternity in hell. It is not charity to do good to one group while simultaneously hurting another. And so we really need to be careful what to do, and what do we do? What's really needed in a broken world? Let me tell you a true story about my brother and sister-in-law. My brother-in-law is a Presbyterian minister, and while doing his seminary and doctoral work in Philadelphia, both he and his wife were dorm parents at a secular college. And you know what happened? They had the tiniest little apartment (laughs) for their family life in this dorm, but students from the secular campus came in wanting to come in and sit on their couch and watch their marriage and family life because they had never seen in their whole life a picture of what a loving marriage looks like. You see, they didn't see it in the movies. They didn't see it in TV. And these kids didn't see it in their home. They were troubled. So what did they need? They just needed a simple picture in the most humble dorm apartment for this married couple to sit and watch college students who are probably, you know, doing every kind of a moral thing imaginable, but they're hungry for lasting love and marriage and just want to sit and see the picture. And that's really what we need to do. We need to project the picture of what marriage is like. And mom and dad, if you want to take home application before I shut up today, you need to paint that picture of Catholic marriage for your kids. Let them sit on your couch and let them watch and see a picture of what married life is like, because they aren't seeing it in the media. They're not seeing it as our country legalizes same-sex marriage. They didn't see it in the recent papal wedding, and they aren't seeing it at the family synod of all places. But make sure they see it in your home. Till next time, this is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.